The sermon today, if you have your Bibles, is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. The ordering of this service was intentional. That was extremely weighty. And so now I want to go right into an extended assurance of pardon, essentially what this is. Have you ever wanted to know that someone loved you for sure? Of course, it's nice to hear the words, I love you. But have you ever wanted more than just words? Have you ever wanted to know for sure that you were truly loved? Today, we are going to see that discipline, whether it's formative or corrective, is not only for our good and holiness, but is also a great encouragement, and it is a sign from God that we are loved and are legitimately called children of God in Christ Jesus. So to put that down on the lowest shelf, if you experience conviction of sin and discipline, you can be certain that you are loved. And you can know that you are a child of God. The background to Hebrews, this letter, it was a letter of exhortation probably written around 54 to 68 AD. It was written to a house church, we think, in Rome that was tempted to return to the Old Covenant because they were experiencing social and economic hardships for following Christ. The point of the letter was to help them to see the extreme significance of Christ and to help them see that Christ is all there is. Christ is all there is. There is nothing to return to. Everything that was passed in the Old Covenant is empty because it's all been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. There is no hope outside of Christ. And they should hold on to Jesus Christ even when their Christian life becomes difficult. Essentially, what they're saying is Jesus is superior. He is worthy of their faith. And because of this, they should exercise faith in him and not fall away. Throughout the letter, he's shown that Christ is superior to the prophets, to angels and Moses, superior to Levites, Aaron, and the whole of Judaism. And Jesus gives his people a better hope, a better possession, a better country, and a better life. The author wants the Hebrews to believe in God's promises and exercise faith even through difficulties, trials, pains, and death. Even when it's hard. He desires them to see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all their hope and of all of God's promises. This is the word of the Lord. Give careful attention to its reading. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, 
Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God is forever. Amen. O gracious Father, we ask for your spirit to come down. The spirit of Jesus Christ, who raised him from the dead, we ask that you would raise us. Let us look to you to see your beauty and your wonder. And Lord, would you allow us to know that we are your children, that your discipline, that your correction would show us that we are dearly loved. I ask that your spirit would make this so in the hearts of each and everyone here so that you might give them and restore each one to the joy of your salvation. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as I'm going to walk through this text, I'm actually going to give a summary of most of verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 8. And then I'm going to sit on 8 through 11 for a moment. And then the rest of the sermon is going to be an extended application. But as I went through the application, you'll see the exposition of the word as well. The first thing I want you to see is that in your faith, you should remember those who have gone before you. That's in verse 1. Remember those who have gone before you. The author of Hebrews in verse 1 challenges the readers to run this difficult race of life with patient endurance. As if those in the previous chapter, you see, chapter 11, we call that the hall of faith, are actually up in the audience watching and looking and seeing and cheering them on as they struggle to reach the finish line. This cloud of witnesses not only encourages the Hebrews as fellow runners in the race by their example, as actually those who have faithfully finished the race, but they are also concerned with the Hebrews' race because they are united to Hebrews, the people of Hebrews, by faith in Christ. The Hebrews actually are in a metaphorical race of faith, and they are to run their race with patient endurance. What that means is they are to run their race of faith with courage through pain and difficulty. Secondly, they are to remember Christ's work and person in order to persevere. That's found in verses 2 to 4. So what you see in verses 2 to 3, the author actually exhorts them. He says, look to Jesus, the only Son of God, Look to the one who is the originator, the one who is the perfecter of their faith. 
He's the ultimate example of faith. Even though they look and look at the runners that have ran before them, really, the true runner is Jesus. He's the one who really ran the race. And he completed it in the face of all hostility. And so the phrase look to actually originally, in the original language, carries the ideas of actually looking away from something and looking directionally consumed with something. So they are looking away from these things and keeping their eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ. You know, I know that if I don't drive a motorcycle, I was wanted to one time, and I read up on it, and, you know, you, you will turn where you look, right? Your life will turn where you look. So if you're on a motorcycle, and you're trying to take a turn, and you keep going, and you're looking forward, your bike will not head to that angle that you're wanting it to head. You always have to turn and look, and that's where you go. And I think that's a good metaphor for what we're talking about here. You have to keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ because otherwise you're not going to make it. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Look away from the distractions of this world and look only to Jesus. Jesus is the one and only who not only is the perfect example of steadfast faith in running the race, but also the one whom their faith looks to and depends upon from both beginning and to end. It is for the joy of the ultimate accomplishment of redemption that Jesus despised the shame and endured the cross. Have you ever thought about that? How could Jesus be nailed on a cross, hanging there for everyone to see with all that shame? The king of the universe hanging all to see. Well, Hebrews tells us he despised the shame. He hated that shame. That shame was nothing to him. He looked forward to the purpose, the accomplishment of you all knowing Jesus Christ and being found in him, being saved from your sins. Jesus Christ despise that shame. In verse 4, he reminds them that their struggle against sin has not been as severe as Jesus's was. Right? I mean, this kind of makes sense. Just look at the Bible. I mean, you may be struggling with sin, but you haven't been nailed on a cross. You haven't endured the eternal wrath of God. You haven't been, had an entire nation wanting you to be dead. You haven't been brutally beat. And he's saying, even if you might suffer some persecution, if you're, re- <laughs> if you're reading this letter, guess what? You're still alive. But Jesus, well, he's alive, but because he died and was resurrected. That's what he's saying in that verse. And so Jesus' struggle against sin was not his own sin, though. It was my sin. It was your sin. But the sinners who sought to destroy him for being who he actually was, that is the sin that he died for. As they consider Christ, they will see the suffering that they are enduring pales in comparison to Christ who endured for them. And so they need to battle the sin that is within. They need to battle the sin that is without. 
and they can find their motivation in Christ to keep from not growing weary as they battle. Next, we remember God's care as we face discipline. And this is verses 5 to 8. So in verses 5 to 8, he reminds them of the reality of their sonship. He shows them from the book of Proverbs that part of being a child of God is being disciplined, being corrected, and being punished. And this is just what being a child is about. That shouldn't surprise you. So in looking at Jesus, one might think that this would be motivation enough to race on. But the author of Hebrews tells them they are God's children. And as God's children, discipline is for their good. The saints of old endured discipline and finished their race well, which is a good example and motivation for the Hebrews to endure discipline. The discipline, the discipline that they experience proves that they have a share in God. They are his children and are seeing God's love for them, which is for their ultimate good. Now, the last point is verses 9 to 11. Remember the benefits of discipline. Remember the benefits of discipline. In verses 9 to 11, he reminds them of how children are to be respectful to their fathers, even when they discipline them inadequately and imperfectly. If you're a father, you've probably disciplined your children at some point in a way that your kids could say that was not just. Fair enough? If you're a mother, you've done the same thing. You understand that? You ever done that? How bad do you feel after you've disciplined the wrong kid? <laughs> you, ever, you ever done that? If you've had multiple kids. Or if you only have one kid, you've disciplined them, and you find out later that they were actually telling you the truth. And you feel about this small. So, But we understand, the children understand if we love them generally, that we do this imperfectly. Discipline is not pleasant. Nobody likes it. Anybody like discipline? It's like, raise your hand. No, I don't think anybody likes it. Whether it is discipline to make a person remember to avoid something, right? Like, there's discipline that says, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a punishment, but not because I'm judging you, not because it's like judgment, because you deserve this. I'm giving you punishment to warn you for the future. There's a difference between that, right? There's a punishment that says you get what you deserve, justice, which I hope that you're not doing that for, with your children. You're just like, justice, da, it's there. I hope that the punishment that you're giving is for their reclamation, for their good, for them to grow up in Christ Jesus. If you're, if you're acting like a judge with your kids... You're, 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 you've got the wrong motivation, right? You're, you're not a judge with a gavel that says you are guilty. The whole point is to lead their hearts, to shepherd their hearts into Jesus Christ, okay? So that's the point. There's this drawing people to avoid something or disciplining them, though, as well, to help make them be grow, grow strong and healthy, like kids eating your vegetables or eating good food. They're giving you discipline and telling you have to eat those. And there's going to be consequences if you don't. Because if you eat corn pops every day, right, or Fruit Loops every meal, that you will have problems with your stomach and with your life at a later point in time. You must have a healthy, balanced, dis balanced diet. And so 
even though children don't like this because they really would like to eat Fruity Pebbles every meal, they come to respect their fathers who discipline them because they understand what the point. Now, sometimes that might not be until they're 25, but that will eventually get there. So parents, if you're younger, I have older kids, you will hear things like, wow, thank you for that. And they did not say that during the moment. Trust me. Now, God our Father is the greatest and best Father. He's the Father of spirits. He's the ultimate source of life. He is the Father, the Father, and is entirely different from every earthly father. Brothers and sisters, if you grew up and had a terrible childhood with terrible parents, I want you to know that you should not take your view of the Father from your father, earthly father. Right? You need to read the Word and see what a good father does. And if you look at the Word and you see descriptions in the Word, you'll find that he hovers over us like a mother hen. That he's gentle, that he's kind, that he does discipline, but he's also loving and gracious. It's this full, you know, the, the, the reality of, of, of the, what we think of, of a general a prototype of fatherhood and motherhood, both fatherhood and motherhood, those gentle characters and best characteristics in both are actually seen fully in God, right? All people image God. It took male and female and the way that he's created us in that to image God properly and fully. And so we have to look at the whole, not just a part. And so all these things that happen in this world, in this life, all get their breath from the Father. And so if God is the author of all life and disciplines his people for their good, how could it be bad for them? If he disciplines you for good, he says it, it's good. If you think it's bad, you're not trusting him. You're not believing him. And you need to believe that his discipline is good for you. It's actually more than just good for you. It is what God does to bring you into true life. It's hard to see the point of discipline, so we all balk at it, but we shouldn't because God's discipline draws us into fellowship with him so that we can enjoy him not just in the present, but for all eternity. God is not only concerned about a few short years of your life, you know that, while we're here on earth. He is concerned for your eternity too. And so he disciplines you in the present, like you do with your kids. Not for simply for short-term gain. Like you're trying to make sure that your kids don't have a terrible life, right? That's, I mean, at the end of the day, as parents, you want to make sure that your kids don't have a miserable, terrible life. So you discipline them. God is looking at this and looking at the whole perspective, and he wants you to have a better life in the present for sure, but also he's trying to do this for the long-term gain, gain of an eternity of joy with him. The more he disciplines you in the present, the more fit you will be for eternity. Right? I mean, you've got to want him now. Have you ever wondered? People are like, well, I don't want God now. You're going to want him in heaven? You don't want him now? You're going to want him in heaven? Probably not. So God's disciplining you so that you want him now more and more so that you are fit for eternity and your desire and delight in him will be beautiful forever and ever. Though no one likes discipline, the rewards of it are sweet. 
The discipline our eternal Father gives us will yield a harvest of righteousness, it says, that is peaceable. In other words, basically, the result of discipline will bring righteousness that leads to peace. So our brief time of discipline here yields a life that is lived in harmony with God. So I've walked through, I've walked through the text, and what I want to do now is I want to apply this for us. So what? Right? You just listen to a bunch of words. So what? What does it mean? What does it, how does it practically benefit me? What does it make a difference in my day-to-day life? You know, we can often struggle with the quest, quest, this question, right? How and why would a good God, who is a loving Father, allow me and others to go through all of these things? You ever heard that before? You ever asked that before? We can also struggle with living a holy life in a secular society. A society that is the kingdom of this world. Often we expect life to go smoothly, don't we, in this world? Well, children of God, the very God of the universe, shouldn't everything go fine in my life? That's what Job's friends thought, wasn't it? Then when life doesn't go smoothly as we would like it, we actually question our salvation, perhaps, or we question whether or not we're loved. The first thing that Hebrews 12, 1 to 11 does is actually connect us with this great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11. And these witnesses did not have an easy life. If you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, they're like sawn in two, right? They did all these bad and terrible things that happened. I just went to the climax. But there's also, they didn't get what they wanted, they had promises, they died, they didn't see it, they didn't get the land, they didn't get this, they didn't get that. They were tortured, they were tormented, all of these things. They preserved through many hardships because God promised them. Why? A better country. A heavenly country. These people stand as a witness to the faith, testifying with their lives that God can be trusted, and it is worth it to trust Him. These witnesses are also watching us as we run our race, as it were, and they're cheering us on and encouraging us to keep persevering. So when you're struggling, imagine that you are in a stadium with millions of observers who have gone before and had miserable things happening to them, and they are up in the stadium cheering for you like a team that is behind by 20 points with five minutes to go. That is what's going on with the great cloud of witnesses. They are cheering you on. And so, we are not alone. We had, we have, we will continue to have people who are struggling with us on the journey that we're on. And because many have done this in the past, we too can cast aside the things of this world that try to keep us from finishing our race, from holding fast to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, throughout the years as I've tried to encourage my congregations to persevere through difficulties and through trials, one of the most common questions I'm asked is, how? How? How do I make it? I I can't take it anymore. I'm just tired. I just want this life to be over. The answer is that we must look away from the world and we must look to Jesus. You must keep your eyes on Jesus in order to make it. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
He exercised faith in his father throughout his whole life. He walked through difficulty and suffering and never wavered. He's the perfect example of faith. For the joy of being exalted to his father's right hand and being given a people, you and me, for his possession and all the rest of the crowd, the stadium that's looking on to, from us, to us this morning, he endured the cross and looked with disdain on the shame he would bear because of that cross. He looked to the future promise and found joy there instead of in the present reality. What the people of God in the hall of faith did, Jesus did to an infinite level. Seeing both the saints as examples of faith and Jesus as the perfect example of faith should encourage us to push on through the difficulties we might bear as Christians. How, you ask, can I make it through the difficulty? Jesus, look away from their present circumstances to Jesus Christ. That's what you must do. You'll never make it otherwise. You've got to get your eyes off of the pain and the suffering and the misery that you're in now, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who went through every pain and every misery that you could ever imagine, and he did it, and he was successful, and he did it for you. And so, we should be encouraged by that. However, not only is Christ the perfect example of our faith, but he is the object of our faith. Our faith depends on Jesus from first to last. And this should come as no surprise. The author of Hebrews 10, 10 of the 11 previous chapters laying out Jesus as the only one who can provide forgiveness of sins and access to God. 10 chapters all about how Jesus is the only way. And he's everything. And so... We are to see Jesus as the source of our life, the motivation for our faith, and the example of how we live out our faith. So when your faith, when my faith gets tested and tried, and we're unsure whether we can handle the persecution or the difficulties, we should turn our eyes away from that situation and fix them upon Jesus. His life and his ministry will encourage you to endure the difficulties and look forward to the joy that is set before you, seeing the face of Jesus Christ. Do you know what I want more than anything else, brothers and sisters? The beatific vision. I want to die and wake up and look on the face of Jesus Christ. And when I see him, all my sin, all my failures, everything in me will be gone in an instant and I will be perfected, able to love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, forever. That is what I want, more than anything else. And that's the joy that's set before you, Jesus. It is Jesus whom we must consider as we endure persecution and hostility from the world. The answer to the struggle of what we should do when we are experiencing weariness is to remember how much Jesus went through for us and that we are still alive while Jesus gave up everything, including his life. Another encouragement for us is that we must remember who we are in Christ. You have been adopted in Jesus Christ and you are children of God. Moreover, because you are children, we should expect that God is, loves us in the right way, in the right amount, for our good. He does it through discipline. 
This discipline of God is not simply for training us to be more godly and leading us to be weaned off of the world. It is that. But it is more than that. God reproves and chastises his children. God allows his children to experience suffering and persecution in this life even when they've done nothing to deserve it. You know that? God allows you to experience suffering in this life even when you've done nothing to deserve it. All you've got to do is read the book of Job. And you'll see that. Jesus clarified this when he told his people they were blessed to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. God often does this to ensure that we have our eyes fixed on him. So this can be an encouragement when you're going through difficulties. It might have nothing to do with us having done anything wrong. It might, but it might not. Instead, it might simply be that God knows that this is the best thing for our training to grow up into the fullness of Christ. It can help assure us that God truly loves us and that he is not angry at us. But it is also comforting for Christians to know that sometimes God reproves us and chastises us as his children when we've done wrong. That's the point of this sermon today, the big point. He does this for the sake of our holiness. But his purpose is not punitive. Do you understand that? God is not punishing you. Jesus Christ was punished for your sake. This is discipline. It's corrective action for your good. Punishment is what will happen to the wicked who are not found in Jesus Christ. They will be punished. You are not being punished. You're being disciplined for your sin so that you will turn to Christ and live in Christ. Justice has been paid in full by Jesus Christ and God will not take another ounce of it because he's completed it in Jesus Christ. He corrects us so that we may come to share in his holiness and ultimately experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, it is encouraging to know that God loves his children and corrects us when we do wrong in order to grow us in holiness. So when difficulties or troubles plague us, first we should look at ourselves and see if God is correcting us to grow up in holiness because that has been lacking in our lives. Suppose we are feeling distant from God and are not experiencing the joy of our sonship and instead we are experiencing difficulties and pain and sorrow. In that case, we should investigate our lives and look internally to ensure that we are following God and not living in actual sin, an active sin. You see, discipline, whether formative or corrective, and ironically, corrective discipline is formative, is not pleasant, it's not enjoyable, but it is a sign of God's love. And this is what I want to say to this session and to you all. The fact of this repentance and the conviction of sin is a sign that not only are this, is the session loved, but you are loved. You are loved. If you think that you're going to go and live without sin, without problems, without difficulties, you're, you're, you're misguided, to say the least, and delusional, at worst, sin is a part because we still have this flesh clinging to us. And so we will sin. 
but it is a sign that God loves you when he convicts you, when people challenge you, when they come up to you and tell you that you are not following Christ the way that you should. That is a sign that you are loved. And if you aren't getting that, then you need to, uh, you need to question whether or not you know him. If you're not convicted of sin, it's a big problem because you don't know that you're loved and you won't know you're loved. Proverbs very clearly laid out, and Hebrews echoes it. God chastens, disciplines the ones he loved. Are you being disciplined? Are you being convicted of sin? If you are, you know that you're loved. If you go and go and go and don't see anything and don't feel anything like that, and you're never experiencing it, you may not be a child of God. And so you need to turn to God in repentance and forgiveness. See, we must strive after holiness and not balk at discipline, whether it's formative or corrective. Our life is not our own. We were bought with a price, so we should serve the Lord with our whole being. And what that means is that we must open to, up to God and be open to what he's going to do in us and through us. Hebrews 12, 1 to 11, holds out a consistent and biblical view of God's discipline. True sonship is not all rainbows and unicorns. Instead, it is a life lived under the intentional discipline of a loving Heavenly Father who is preparing you and I for His perpetual presence in glory. God always disciplines us for our good. If we are in sin, He corrects us for the sake of love and our good. However, even if we are not in sin, He forms us by allowing us to experience difficulties and challenges. And these forms of discipline, whether formative or corrective, are not only for our good and holiness, but they are a great encouragement to us because we have a sign that we are deeply loved by God. And we are his children. Gracious Father, thank you for your correction. Thank you for your discipline. We praise you. We delight in you. And we ask that you would allow us to be disciplined by you, corrected, so that we may not only grow in holiness and be ready to, to see you, but also that we would know that we are your children, loved by you. Holy Spirit, I ask for every single one in this congregation who trusts in Jesus Christ to know that they are loved this morning, to know that they are God's children. And I pray also, Father, that you would convict anyone in this place that does not know your love and is not a child and have them turn to Christ. Give them a heart of flesh, I pray. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.